0: Podcastle, episode 426, for July 26, 2016, Sweeter Than Lead, by Benjamin Kinney, rated PG. Hello and welcome to Podcastle, where in the fantasy V-reality celebrity boxing match, fantasy wins by a TKO. I'm your host, Graham Dunlop. A note to authors as we start, we will soon be moving to blind submissions. When we do, our document submission requirements will change slightly in that we'll ask you to leave out bylines and contact information. More details will be available soon. Watch out for a post on the podcast or website. And now on to today's story, we bring you Sweeter Than Lead by Benjamin C. Kinney and we proudly present this as a PodCastle original. Benjamin C. Kinney is a neuroscientist by day and speculative fiction writer by night. He's left the business of creating cyborg monkeys and contents himself with scanning and stimulating mere human brains. He lives in St. Louis with his two cats while waiting for his wife to return from Mars. 2016 marks his first year of professional fiction sales, and his stories have already appeared twice in Strange Horizons, forthcoming in Flash Fiction Online, and now here in Podcastle. He's a member of the Codex Writers Group, a graduate of the Viable Paradise Workshop, and a slush reader for our evil twins in Escape Pod. Follow him online at benjaminckinney.com and on Twitter at benckinney links will be in the show notes. And your narrator this week is my fabulous co-editor, Jen R. Albert. So now, after many, many years of faithful and difficult service, it's time to hand over to your apprentice. So prepare yourself, make sure your apprentice is ready, and enjoy the story.
1: Sweeter Than Lead by Benjamin C. Kinney I stood atop the wall and stared at the shifting black towers of the nameless city, as if this time I might spot the shadows of its bygone masters. I flexed my toes against the rampart's top, the basalt as cold and solid as ever. Only the wall and my vigilance held the city in check, but one of those would not last. Two months remained until my mandated retirement, the end of my prophecies the end of my power. My successor, Talene, stood behind me, well-trained, yet all too ignorant. She tipped her white-veiled head as if eager to hear my thoughts. She managed a better guise of subservience than I had in the final weeks before my investiture, but my predecessor, Anayat, had given me far less reason for courtesy. Talene deserved to know about the city's long-dead masters. Some unknown race had built the nameless city and flourished in its char-black edifices and knotted timelines until their inheritors built the wall and transformed Metropolis into prison and tomb. That much Tilline knew, but for all the city's empty halls and silent streets, its creators still held the power to threaten and tempt. I had considered a hundred possible lessons, a hundred tales I might tell her, But every explanation would conjure the same danger I wanted to forestall. Helplessness curdled in my stomach like sour milk. I would have to grow accustomed to futility. Not yet. I still had two months until the autumn equinox. Two months until our little island of outpost, wall, and city. Two months to taste and wield the future. I parted my veil rocked forward and drank deep of the city's poisoned sweet air like wine rich with sugar of lead. The woman wears a jeweled dress, an arcalook of purple and cobalt. She sprawls unmoving on a floor of mahogany and rust-stained rugs, beneath tower windows rattling in a leaf-strewn wind. The knife in her chest bears a ribbon embroidered with golden stars. I rocked back behind the boundary and mortal air filled my lungs like cold ash. The vision's immediacy lingered in my mind, simple, less violent than many, easily interpreted and forestalled. Purple and cobalt for our empress and the golden-starred banner of Kilhima province conquered twelve years past. I lowered my veil, Order the soldiers to round up anyone in our outpost who hails from Kilima. I will have questions for them, then write to the Empress, ask her to reassign any sovereign guard members who have ties to Kilima and to keep any ambassadors outside the capital. Of course, Yeva. She turned away with a rustle of cotton robes, but I gestured her to wait. She halted. The Empress would follow my advice with equal obedience. Sears ordered, advised, and suggested, but we could never explain, not without transforming the possible into the irrevocable. To describe one of our visions would pull that future out of the shifting timelines of the Nameless City into our fixed and causal world. I had spent thirty years without explaining my choices, and never in all that time had I so ached to share a revelation. Do you think the Nameless City wants something? seagull's caw rose from the narrow strip of shore between wall and ocean. Talene said, Death, perhaps? But the city's been empty for ages, High Seer, hasn't it? The nameless city shrugged off names like oil on glass, but I understood its nature better than anyone else alive. Perhaps in one of the city's infinite timelines, its masters still lived— Pressing alien faces against the prison wall, erected by their successors, and watched us sip from their legacy like aphids greedy for sap. A familiar shiver ran along my spine. All I had was, perhaps, but among an infinite snarl of futures, one remote possibility would serve them well enough. If they could make that timeline ours, through their machinations of a seer's incautious word, they would live again. They would never have died. I said, You will need to discover the answer for yourself. Remember the question in years to come, low seer. If the city has desires, then it might have the means to achieve them. Of course, I seer. Beneath her patient voice, shoe leather scuffed against the salt. I clenched my jaw, Toline was far too eager to leave the wall, for all the wrong reasons. Down in our outpost in the soldiers' barracks waited her beloved Vartan, her secret lover, or so she thought. Unlike my predecessor, I turned a blind eye to my students' broken oath. How could I not? When I was her age, I had my Garin, and the gentleness he could never show his fellow soldiers. I still carried my memories of our two short days together, a fond and faded treasure. A meager keepsake, perhaps, but I was high seer. My lungs and soul permeated by visions of ruin. My life held no space for such ordinary happiness. I scowled. Tilling would wrestle with that burden soon enough. If love made her hurry from her duties, I had grown too permissive. I could indulge romance, but I would not indulge distraction. I said, "No more delays. You will take today's vision now, and it's time you took one without any aid. Prove to me that you will not fail. Talene's shoulders tensed. Of course, High Seer, I'm ready. She took off her shoes, inched towards the wall's edge, and lifted her veil from a fine-boned face etched with dread. Fear might save her someday. To maintain her vigilance against the temptation of so much power and knowledge one step beyond the basalt's edge the city's call could manifest in a hundred forms carelessness curiosity ambition desperation every mind invented its own excuses and rationalizations around the subconscious gravity of that dead and infinite world no seer had succumbed for five generations but the empire still forced our retirement after thirty years A rule too rigid, but not without its reasons. Once, when the nameless city's glossy black streets and shifting towers arranged themselves just so, Talene and I had glimpsed the first high-seer's corpse lying on the black stone eighty feet below, as if she had thrown herself from the wall only yesterday. I would do no such thing, and neither would the apprentice I trained." I crossed my arms and stifled the urge to grasp her belt or whisper a worldly voice in her ears. She bent her knees, rocked forward, and then leaned back with her precious lungful of the nameless city's air. She shuddered, her face twisting in disgust, but her reaction drew her back from the ledge as I had taught her. She lowered her veil. In a province where the natives wear checkered wool— the imperial governor should not interfere with the conflicts between their clans. Let... She knit her hands together. Let the unrest run its course. Very good. Scribe a letter to the empress with the advice from both of us. We will sign it together. She should see that you are ready. True, though the compliment was, it rolled off my tongue with a bitter taste of uncured olives as if she deserved the blame for my ten years' end. Talene bowed, more deeply this time. She slipped her shoes back on, trying to hide her shaky hands. Poor girl. Her nervousness would fade once a thousand more visions inured her to strife and doom. She strolled to the scaffolding, her pace slow and fixed with the illusion of calm. I lingered alone on the ramparts as she descended towards the outpost far below. Wood clunked against basalt, telling me of footsteps like a frightened heart, fast, then fading. A new tower fluttered and askew, leaned against the inside of the wall like a prisoner's broken crowbar. It failed to scratch the basalt, just as thousands of structures had failed before. The architecture rearranged itself every time mortal eyes turned away, but could never pierce that gray stone barrier. Humankind owed everything to those unknown wall-builders when they rebelled against their predecessors. Their foundation stones defined the beginning of cause and effect, the beginning of what we called time. We seers risked so much when we tapped into the reality on the other side. Sap can nourish or kill with the same ease, the richness of maple or the prison of amber. In the last five years I had begun to yearn to take another step, to fall into the nameless city and braid myself into the infinite threads of its possibilities. I could show the world one thread with my broken body upon the stone, while I lived on in countless others, weaving my own futures as a true mistress of the nameless city. I flexed my toes against the stone, cold and real beneath my feet, a true mistress of the city indeed. After eleven thousand visions, I knew those temptations were what they were, lures, and enticements, from dead monsters who hungered for the possibility of existence, blandishments, and sops, like the noble title and comfortable home awaiting me in the imperial capital. Fifty-nine days, fifty-nine visions, until all my mastery would go to waste. Talene was ready to take over as High Seer, no less than I had been at her age. Surely she would come to understand the city before its whispers hooked into her soul— But even if the city's prison endured, what would become of me? I would be honored, served, and feted, but no one would ever listen to me again. If I could not slow my retirement, I could suck every sweet drop from my remaining days. Why still ration myself to one vision per day, when I had strength enough for hundreds more? I parted my veil and rocked forward. Dawn, a sloop. Helmed by a soldier, uniformed in imperial cobalt. Behind him, smoke rises in the shadow of a basalt wall, dimming a summer bright sky. The guard holds the tiller with an unerring hand, and his eyes are poison and amber, a color that rejects any name. I stumbled back from the edge. I recognized the soldier, handsome and rough-shaven. The same face that met Tallinn's glance every time they thought my attention elsewhere. His face alight with love. No adoration in the future, I glimpsed. Only the blank resolve of a puppet on a string. I had never seen or foreseen any fate like Vartan's. I had thought the city could only entice us to jump. Perhaps he had jumped, and in one unlikely timeline caught himself on the inner edge. Unfallen but within the city's grasp. I could only guess how he became the city's puppet, but there was no mistaking the power behind his eyes. If the nameless city could touch our world, it could draw us into any future it chose. It would choose its freedom, and it would choose vengeance. The city's timeless masters would not look kindly on humankind, on we thirsty insects who manned their prison walls. The vision's late summer sun could have been next year, next week, or tomorrow. I leapt down, scaffolding, two steps at a time, trusting the iron bolts painstakingly drilled into ancient stone. I halted twenty feet from the bottom to catch my breath and dignity. The rest gave me a moment to think. Why now, after eleven thousand days? I had never before taken two visions in succession. Could I have provoked it? Impossible. If Vartan was the vessel— the fault must lay at Tallinn's feet alone. My only mistake was tolerating her forbidden love. No romance was worth letting the nameless city reach beyond its ancient cage. I strode down the outpost's lone street with the poise befitting a high seer. Carpenters and sailors pressed knuckles to foreheads as I passed. Most days I could draw comfort from the stubborn banality of our houses and peers, the two hundred ordinary men and women who kept us alive and safe and linked to the empire. Today every body seemed to shiver despite the summer sun. Every face turned away from the wall and the city they could not comprehend. The barracks was built from loose basalt, mortared by mere human craft. All its strength a meager echo of the stone face above. I threw open the door. Tilline knit her fingers while two ranks of soldiers struggled through surprise and awe. Tilline's head moved behind her veil. I set my jaw. The only sure way to forestall my vision would be through Vartan's execution. Even if I banished him from our outpost today, some slim chance might bring him back on another summer morning to fulfill our doom. I would gain nothing in exchange for that risk. Teline would despise me either way for tearing away the lodestone of her heart. A lump rose in my throat. A fate all too familiar— but perhaps every low seer clutched for love before her ascension. I could not hesitate. What price won life and the hatred of my apprentice to protect the empire and world from the creeping poison of the city's power? I said, Low seer Talene, Deaconess Vartan, your affection has not escaped my notice. Vartan dropped to a knee and pressed his knuckle to his forehead. Talene held out her hand and said, Don't you dare try to take responsibility, Vartan. He clamped his mouth shut, and she turned her veiled face towards me. Hi, Sir Yeva. I wish we could have had this conversation in private. She crossed her arms. I know the words I swore, but I also know what you think of those oaths. Mere tools to enhance our mystery, heighten our respect. Who chose the text of our vows? Your predecessor? Hers? Hers? She flicked a hand. We can choose our oaths anew. Let the next five high seers live with a measure of love. A soldier gripped the hilt of his sword, but I raised my hand before he could draw. Twenty soldiers waited on my word, nineteen of them ready to obey my commands and defend my dignity. Talene was not high seer yet. She, at least, could surely sense the hesitation on my hidden face. Anayat had never explained why our oaths demanded veils and celibacy. No High Seer ever explained her reasons. Could Anayat's cruelties have come from the same prophetic motive? I had thought her so heartless, but perhaps she too had foreseen some terrible fate, with my gentle Garin in Vartan's stead. Could I break Teline's heart, as Anayat did mine? Yes. Let the past repeat, if it must— city and future demanded a sacrifice, and I would call it sweet. The orders caught in my throat. Let the past repeat, indeed. The masters of the nameless city had inspired a hatred so fierce, their successors locked them away behind basalt and causality. The trap of amber closed around me. Not immobilization, but repetition." If Teline looked behind my veil, would she be able to name the color of my eyes? The city offered infinite possibilities, everyone drenched in ruin and blood. If I would call myself the city's mistress, I needed a power greater than its own, the freedom to see a future without strife. I said, I didn't come here to punish you, Teline. I came here to congratulate you on your betrothal. Barton blinked and his bellows cheered and clapped him on the back, their voices loud with relief. Talene tilted her head, uncertain, and I mirrored her gesture as if she had bowed in gratitude. If you leave within the hour, you can deliver our letters to the Empress yourself. I sat atop the wall, barefoot and unveiled, awaiting the future I had chosen, My student would never return, not once I advised the Empress to keep the newlyweds in the capital for the rest of their lives. She might doubt, but she would never disobey. Perhaps Talene and Vartan would live in the estate set aside for me. I curled my toes against the basalt's sharp edge. No mortal could hold back the future forever. I would have to train a new low seer, but even the cleverest novice would need a year before she could take my place. Months of training. Months of visions. My tongue tingled with anticipation for the lead-sugar sweetness ahead.
0: And welcome back. Benjamin had this to say about the story. This was my attempt to write a neo-Lovecraftian story, one with that classic sense of cosmic dread in the face of a hostile universe without the underpinnings of racism and xenophobia. I also wanted to explore the mechanics of precognition in fantasy. What does it mean to see a possible future? Who chooses which futures are foreseen and which are not, which are fixed and which are escapable? I love this world. This society, seemingly built on constant vigilance and keeping nameless things away. In the end, though, I wonder if High Seer is secretly relieved. Her time atop the wall is now extended, and she'll be partaking of those noxious airs again. Maybe she's addicted. And Tarleen, how long will she be happy? Hmm. What are your thoughts on the story? We'd love to hear what you have to say over at forum.escapeartists.net. And speaking of the forums, let's turn now to
2: Assistant Editor Khalida Muhammad Ali for feedback. Salam, good people. This is Khalida Muhammad Ali, Assistant Editor over here at PodCastle. Hope you've all been well. Feedback this week is for PodCastle episode number 415, Responsibility Descending by G. Scott Huggins. This story is somewhat of a special treat. Some of you may have noticed that this is the sequel to a story re-ran in September 2015 entitled, Abandoned Responsibility. Felonius Monk had a lot of good things to say about this story. I love this story, but not quite as much as Abandoned Responsibility. The world still fascinates and engages me. The writing is still fantastic. I especially love the combined slave war suit entrapment subplot and the throne in crown form, especially the throne supports the crown and the crown ennobles the throne. The characterization was also great to me. It felt like characters aligned with comfortable tropes without playing to them or being two-dimensional. I think my preference for abandon goes with the change of setting. The century Ship was a setting I've never even imagined before, whereas this story was closer to familiar fantasy settings, while still being unique. Sort of the difference between the stunning prologue and the second chapter that starts to establish the real story beats. On that topic, this still left me wanting more, and really genuinely felt like the opening sections of a novel. The length was right for the format, but I would love to spend more time examining the city. Responsibilities, lessons, early struggles, and her life, and the court life, we barely glimpsed. Danuli said this, That was cool. I really like the idea of the tech suit. I hope that Thrella is okay in the aftermath of the ambassador getting her stupid skull crushed. I can see Thrella and Azikam becoming friends, and I like that. They both need friends to help them in their new lives. You can also count me among the people who really like the theme of being and having responsibility. That was very clever. G. Scott Huggins did a good job of making me dislike the Ambassador, by the way. I was actually talking back to the story, like when she lied about setting Thrella to spy on a Zikam. I yelled out, liar, and seeing as I was wearing headphones and on a walk while listening, I may have looked a bit crazy, but that's okay. One Sock was enthusiastic about this offering. One simple word, more. This is an amazing world and the stories from it are superb. One Sock, I couldn't have said it better. Devoted135 said, What a fantastic sequel to Abandoned Responsibility. I like how she had to grapple with the difficulties of transitioning from being a captive on a sentry ship to being a princess in a complicated court. So many new lessons to absorb. I really liked how she came to the defense of the enslaved girl, having so recently been given her own freedom. Then she applied her father's newly bestowed advice about speaking the truth and standing up for what is right. Of course, this got her in a further bind, but with her honor and father's approval intact. Thank you, Felonious Monk, Danuli, One Sock, Devoted135, and everyone else who stopped by to comment. Keep coming back to let us know what you think of our stories. Over here at PodCastle, we love hearing your varied, intelligent, and thoughtful comments about the stories we produce. For those of you who didn't leave a comment this time, I sure hope you'll jump into the fray on the next go-round by visiting the Escape Artists Forum at forum.escapeartists.net. We would love to hear your thoughts. Well, that's it for now, but we'll be back next week. Hope to see you there. Peace.
0: Thanks, Kalita. And now it's time to go, but never fear, Smith is here. Uh, no, uh, oops, I mean, uh, we'll be back again before you know it. On behalf of everyone here at Podcastle, our forum moderators Talia and Ossie Cat, our audio producer Peter Wood, our associate editors Jiwa, Setsu Uzume, Christiana Formella, Troy Wiggins, Aidan Doyle and Crystal Claxton, our assistant editor Khalida Muhammad Ali, your co-editors Jen R. Elbert and myself, Thanks for stopping by and sharing this story with us. We'll be back next week with another. Until then, this is your host, Graham Dunlop, reminding you that sap can nourish or kill with the same ease, the richness of maple or the prison of amber. Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, international 4.0 license. Say that five times fast. Share it all you like, but don't change or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva and Exile. Find out more about them at their website, shiva-in-exile.de. We rely on you to keep podcasts of flying. If you already donate, thank you so very much. You are a hero, and we love you. If you don't, you can make a regular donation for as little as $2 a month. You can set up donations at the PodCastle website. Go to podcastle.org and find the support us section down the right hand side. To quote a great and timeless sage, reply hazy, try again.